So we celebrated communion where we remember, you know, through the use of, of, the, of the elements there, that we remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. And it's important. It's important that we do remember that. It's important that we, uh, that we remember his sacrifice for our sin, and it makes a huge difference. It makes a difference in life. It makes it a difference in living. It makes a difference in all that we do. At least it should make a difference in all that we do and the people that we are. Um, you know, it, it's, it's important that, that we remember our, our commitment, our, you know, it's a, a kind of a twofold thing. Our commitment to and our relationship with Him. A commitment to Him, you know, does, uh, it, there's, there's certainly, you know, tremendous benefits that come from that. You know, it's, it's, that's what deepens a relationship, that commitment to one another. Again, think, you know, when, uh, you know, when Ginny and I got married, and, you know, I mean, I, I've told you this before. I don't remember. I don't remember in our wedding vows at all. I don't remember what I said, uh, you know, at all, at all. You know, while I, I married the right person, uh, and that now I certainly have an idea of what we said because, well, I've done a wedding or two or however many, uh, you know, and, and we've all been to weddings, you know. But there's a commitment that's made there, and if we follow through on that commitment, you know, that we know that that takes. That that makes a huge difference, you know, in the relationships. So, so when we're ta- when we're talking about the communion and remembering, you know, it, it's that that relationship with that commitment to and relationship with, and those are blended together. Those are, you know, you can't really separate those. And we need to remember what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Part of that is remembering what He taught, certainly what He said, um, what He did, His attitude, His outlook, His conduct as He lived here on earth. Uh, and I think you'll see the importance of remembering and remembering, you know, who he is and a little bit more as we go through our next section of verses here in Jude. But let's pray before we turn to that passage. Father, thank you for that opportunity to have a relationship with you, <clears throat> the opportunity to have um, to live out even more that commitment, what it means to. What it means to walk with you, I, I really think, I know for myself, I learn more all the time. And I, I'm reminded, and I want to be reminded more often. So use your word this morning as we look, as we think, as we, I hope, interact with you, uh, the reality of what it means to be yours, uh, to remember in a motivating way what it means to be yours. So guide us through your word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're continuing in Jude, uh, verse 12. There is only one chapter in Jude, so if you uh, turn to Jude, again, if you're in Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and you go forward one book, it's probably only one page. It might be two if it's, you know, depending on where the one before it ended in your Bible, but... um, so it's on page 1,124 in the Pew Bible. Next week, I plan on finishing up the book. Uh, that's my plan. I'm hoping that works that way. Uh, Jude is picking up really on his thoughts from the previous verses. It's a, it's a short letter, uh, but it's, he's picking up on those thoughts in the previous verses where he began addressing false teachers, uh, those, who claimed to be, those who claimed to be part of the church yet were teaching falsehood, who were, who were not teaching the truth, who were going in the face of, you know, right, really against what he had to say. So drop down to verse 12. 
He says, these are the ones who are like dangerous reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, pulled out by the roots, wild waves of the sea foaming up with their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Now we're going to pause there for a minute. What I want you to remember here is remember that, you know, everyone isn't always what they seem. Everyone isn't always what they seem. He is writing to the church about those, some of those who claim to have a relationship with him, some of those who claim to have a relationship with, with Christ, yet are not what they claim to be. Uh, they, you know, the, the whole thing, look at, you know, verse 12 there. He says, you know, those who have turned away from God, those who have set their own standards, that's flowing from what he said before this. He says they're like dangerous reefs. Some of your translations say hidden uh, the word meant hidden rocks, you know, that, that when we think of a reef, you know, that in one sense that's what it is, hidden rocks. Uh, you know, you can't really see them. Sometimes you can't avoid them. And, you know, so pay attention. Be careful because everyone isn't always what they seem. What going into, you know, isn't always what they seem, like dangerous hidden rocks. When we used to canoe in the Boundary Waters in Quetico Provincial Park, uh, we'd go across small lakes. We canoed across small lakes, and then sometimes they were connecting connecting rivers uh and things well when we would when we would be out there um one of the things i i always looked for as we were going um were ripples in the water that didn't move now when i say didn't move you say what uh they you know they, there would be waves but then these ones would just stay in one place you know, or when you're on on the river and there was river, and they only stay in one place. Well, I knew that was happening because there was a rock below the surface that I couldn't see, and I needed to avoid that area. Sometimes we'd be on some pretty swift moving, some pretty swift moving water, and uh, you know, if you hit one of those rocks, a lot of times it's all over. Now, Jenny and I never swamped a canoe in the boundary waters but we did manage to swamp one with our family one time when we were canoeing um, and we were canoeing on on a river and you know here's the two experienced people uh, canoeing along and you know the rest of the families in canoes and kayaks <laughs> the rocks weren't even hidden I mean they weren't even hidden they were sticking up there and the water is going around them and I am I was trying to miss those things and Yep, that didn't happen. I, I, here's the problem. As soon as you hit those, you are instantly swamped because the water keeps coming. So, you know, and, and then now it is not. I remember one in one of the outfitters in um, up in Ely, Minnesota, they have a canoe uh, that was wrapped around a rock. It's an aluminum canoe and the waves when it got swamped, just push it, pull this thing around. So Jenny and I hit this rock. Okay, I hit the rock. Jenny was in the front. I'm the guy who's supposed to be steering. I hit this rock. The water rushes in. We're in the water. All our stuff is going downstream, you know, and Andy and Peter, you know, they're paddling after all our belongings going. Be careful, he says, because some of the teachers, some of these people teaching false things want to wipe you out just like that. They want to shipwreck you. They want to shipwreck your faith. 
Well, they may not want to do that, but that would be the result of what it is, you know, of getting tangled up with them. This is what he's talking about there. He's talking about those who subvert the work of God, you know, in and through the church. Notice he says they're dangerous, they're destructive. He says they're right there among you at your love feast. Well, love feast, what in the world? That sounds a little kooky. Well, you know, to us, they're there in your communion service. You see, their their meal, they they did a meal, and that's how part of how they remembered uh, the Lord in what we call communion. Because if you recall, uh, when Jesus had the last supper with them see that's a, there's a clue for you right there supper it's a you know it's, it was a meal and he incorporated into that the reality of what these elements mean the reality of what he was going to do so this was this would be their love feast their time in which they were together and he says they're right there among you with them participating in the life and the ministries even of the church he says and they're right there but they're following their own way you know they're 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 not submitting to god Church is a, is, a, is a group of people that have a relationship with and commitment to Christ as, as Savior and as Lord, as the one who is, who is the head. Christ is the head of the church. The head sets the direction, gets, you know, puts everything in motion. When your legs and arms begin going places your head didn't tell it to, you know there's a problem. You know, you know there's... And what he's saying here, you know, is he says, you know, be careful because they are right there with you with that participating. But they're, they're not following their own ways. Notice what he says. They're in, the, in it for themselves. They're nurturing only themselves. Nurturing only themselves to profit some way. You know, to profit some way, you know, material, financially, maybe just to gain a better reputation, a better standing. Whatever it is, their, their actions and what they're doing there is, is for themselves. When... Um, when I first came to Christ, we you know, lived in, uh, well, Dalton, Illinois. It's just south, of, immediate south suburb of Chicago. And we, uh, there were a lot of churches, uh, and we attended a church in South Holland, Illinois. South Holland, again, is just everything, you know, everything has borders touching there. You don't have any of this open space in between. It's just the way it is. It's, trust me, I don't miss that part. Um, I don't miss the, 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 you know, the, just the density of, of population. But um, So we went to a, a church in South Holland, and in South Holland there were a lot of churches and uh, some big churches. And then later, um, Randy, Randy and Jean, who led, you know, that Bible study we went to, and it was after I uh, had started at Moody and stuff, they... Uh, we're going to a, a particular church in town there, and it was a big church. And I remember going there for uh, my niece's Christmas program because my sister was attending there too. And when they added, every time they added on at a church, which I think was at least four times at that point, they added on to the back. You know, so there was the church, and then there was more, and then there was more, and then there was more, <laughs> and it was like you know you're in this tunnel. Uh, but I remember Randy telling me, he said, you know, sometimes on Sunday there's almost like this is the business connection. You know, he said uh, he, he didn't like that. You know, it was just like everybody went there just to see who they could meet, to see who they could hook up with for business stuff. 
This is what some people do. This is, you know, it, it's, it, it's not that the, the, the church is to be, you know, following Christ and to be connected with him. And, you know, there, there's the whole part of it there. But some of them were just in it for, you know, for profit for themselves. You know, they were, they were, what they were doing is really they're rebelling against the leadership of God. Korah's rebellion in verse 11. We looked at that last week where Korah, you know, stood up and, and just rebelled, you know, said, hey, you know. Who you think you are, Moses? You big shot. You know I'm a big shot too, uh, dude. So now you know it's a paraphrase. Uh, you know, the, but the, the whole thing there. You know, the, these people were involved in deliberate hypocrisy. See, it's deliberate hypocrisy. They were only nurturing only themselves. He gives several pictures, other pictures of them. You know, not not only dangerous reefs. He calls them waterless clouds, fruitless trees. There's the picture of something promising. You know, we say, well, we don't want rain. That's, you, don't, you, you know, we don't want rain sometimes because you can go turn on your faucet. That's why, you don't want, that's why we don't want rain. If you couldn't turn on your faucet, they didn't have faucets to turn on. If you couldn't do that, rain was huge. While you're, and just think about it now, too. While you're praying for a sunny day, what do you think our farmers are praying for? Rain for their crops. You know, that's so when, when he's talking here, when he's talking here about waterless, you know, waterless clouds uh, to them, there, that's there's a, a picture of really kind of deception, you know, of, of, of falseness, fruitless trees, you know, the trees that should have something and and, and they don't. You know, it, it's, you know, they, they look promising. Maybe these people are even making promises, but never delivering, not being able to deliver. You know, their promises, you know, their promises are to bring you closer to God, but they mislead you and draw you away from God. This is what happens with a lot of the prosperity preachers. You know, they say, you know, you you send you send them money and they promise you that, you know, that that you'll be enriched. The only one being enriched is is the prosperity preacher to which you sent that money. That's the only one being enriched in that whole thing. God never promised to make you rich. He never did. You know, that's, if you think God promised to make you rich, you are drastically misunderstanding the word of God. Uh, you know, and First Timothy chapter 6 says, um, But those who want to be rich fall into temptation. That word means a seduction to evil. Well, they want to be rich. They're falling into a seduction for evil. You know, a, a trap, a snare, a noose. To them, uh, you know, that, that was how they would, that's how they would catch an animal. You know, just with a snare or a noose. Um, I, I watched, I, I've watched some of these, um, reality shows what uh, mountain men is one of them uh, but they make a noose and i'm amazed that it catches that it catches these animals this is what these guys these guys are making a living doing trapping and stuff and it's just a wire just a wire that then when the animal passes through it 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 snares them you know, and they, they put it on the path that these animals are traveling, and it snares them. This is the picture. This is the picture that he's talking about there. You know, that, that it's there. It's a trap. It's a snare. It's a noose. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, there, look at that picture there, the love of money and craving it. Uh, the, the men that, uh, you know, that meet with me on Tuesday mornings, this is, we just went through this passage. This is the part of First Timothy that we're in, uh, you know, and, and uh, just 
you know, this whole picture of that love and craving it. Some have wandered away from the faith. They've wandered away because their focus is on that money. Their focus is on something other than God. They wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But you, but you, man of God, run from these things. The world runs to these things. He says, you run from this desire for more. You run from this love of money. You run from this craving of it. He says, and instead you pursue. You see, you're running not aimlessly. You're running in in the direction of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. People People are not always what they seem to be, but you should be. You should always be, but you, man of God, you should always, though if you claim to have a relationship with Christ, you should always be reflecting that, that you are a person of God. It goes on, verse 13, another picture gives wild waves. It's, uh, what destructive power, uh, you know, the, the waves, you know, they just beat, you know, they can beat something in, in, into pieces there. It swamps you, it, it inundates you, you know, it, wreck, it wrecks you faster than you ever thought possible. You know, and the, the, the whole reality of that, it, it just comes in and, it, and the power that's there, the power that's there. Uh, you know, that is not only knock you over, bowl you over, you know, the whole thing. And he says it's foaming up their shameful deeds. That's, that's a picture of the waves that, that wash in and stir up junk and garbage. Now, you've probably seen waves sometime where it gets this. It's really disgusting looking brown foam. Yeah, you know, you ever see that, that that happens and stuff? Well, see, this is, that's not, Something that's limited to, you know, they can tell you it's because of pollution. Well, some of it might be, but uh, some of it's because of natural pollution. There's a place up in Michigan, I can't think of it, with the brown water. What's the name of that place? Taquamana Falls. Write it any way you want. Uh, And it's this uh, stuff from the, the trees that are growing there leach into the water. And the water is kind of a runny brown i don't know how else to describe it sorry but uh but but when there's it's taquamana fall so as it goes over the fall it churns up this brown foam here's the picture that he's talking about you know the picture he's talking about there that these waves crash in foaming up their shameful deeds you know all that trash and debris but you know all that all that pollution that is there all that all that stuff that makes it unpure is there and he said he calls them wandering stars first off stars don't wander that's why you can use them for navigation you see you can use stars for navigation because they don't wander they go across the heavens but you see they're doing it in this pattern and it looks a lot like this in case you're wondering uh, you know but so it, it, they go in a pattern so wandering stars you know they, it was well known to them that you could use these for you know for navigation you know and a, but a wandering star you see a wandering star is something that would would prove trustworthy something that would appear trustworthy it would appear to be trustworthy that you could set your sights on it if you were but yet it's taking you in the wrong direction it's leading you you know somewhere else it's leading you where it was headed not where not what 
quite possibly they could be referring to planets here. Now, you see, they did. Galileo hadn't invented the telescope yet, and so, or whoever did. But anyway, they, they, they didn't have that. So, you know, to them, a planet and a star, they, they were just kind of the same thing. But planets take a different, they take a different track, you see. And you can't use those for navigation because, because not only do they track differently, they're, you know, they're not, they're not consistent. The stars are there, whoop, you know, I mean, every night, whoop, you know, uh, and the, the, the planet, or, or, you know, quite possibly, you know, falling stars, meteorites that enter in and burn brightly and then they're gone. And this is what he's picturing. This is how he's picturing some of these false teachers. They looked to be leading people closer to God, but actually they were leading them to destruction. Notice what it talks, how it describes it. The blackness of darkness forever. There's part of the picture of hell, part of a picture of a life separated from God, part of a picture of doing your own thing. Blackest darkness forever. Forever is a long time. Pick up with me, verse 14. And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam. Now there is an Enoch in Cain's line. That's not what he's talking about. That's why he says the seventh generation from Adam. He's distinguishing and differentiating. Uh, Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about them. Look, the Lord comes with a thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers, walking according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. So remember, character matters. Character matters. In verses 14 and 15 here, Jude is quoting from the book of First Enoch. Now you won't find that in your Bible um, you won't even you won't even find that in the apocrypha. That's not even part of the apocrypha. First Enoch is one of many um, uh, pseudepigraphal books, uh, and that word pseudepigraphal describes what it is. Pseudo, pretending to be. See, pretending to be. This is what it is, and that's one of the major problems with these books. They were written by one person, but they they claimed to be written by another. They claimed to be written by someone who was already seen and known as a prophet of God, who was who they they would write it and and you know I was going to say Jeff, but I want to pick on him. <clears throat> Ralph would write a book and uh, <laughs> you know and put it out there and say that you know this is this is the rest of the Gospel of John. Uh, you know, this is the picture. This is the picture here when he's talking, you know, that, that book of First Jude. Um, now, it's different from when, when Paul had someone serve as a secretary. When Paul had someone serve as a secretary and write down, jot down those words, he was writing, he was writing what Paul wanted. Pseudepigraphal books are written by unknown people, claimed to be written by someone you know, who was close to God and who knew God. And the book of First Enoch here was well known in Jude's day. So when he's quoting this, he's quoting something that was well known to these people. And as he's doing that, you know, it's something they could easily relate to. This in no way is an endorsement of the book of First Enoch. It is not at all an endorsement of it. It's simply saying that this statement by Enoch happened to be true. Even a stopped clock is right twice a day, you know. 
But what he's saying is, you know, this happened to be true. Paul quoted some of their some of their uh, their philosophers as you read through, you know, some of his writings and in the Book of Acts and all. It wasn't an endorsement of them. All he was saying, he was using something that they knew that was readily known to them that they would understand. Now, if you look at that prophecy there, it, it's simply basically that when God comes, you know, judgment for all those who reject him, he's going to come and all those who reject him, that, that they will suffer the punishment from rejecting God. This is the this is the thrust of what he's saying there. Now, notice that term ungodly. It appears three times in some translations. It appears four times in verse 15. What he's doing, he is being very clear that, you know, about those who are ungodly and that contrast between, he's talking there about the end for those who reject God. Those who are ungodly, who do not have a connection with God, who have chosen, you know, to not have a connection with God, that there is, that punishment is coming from. Now, none of this is exactly a new revelation. It's consistent with the message of God from Genesis through Revelation. Those who reject God, so even there, even, I mean, as we look at it, you know, even, even their, their false teachers, uh, some of them even said, you know, that truth, God's going to punish, you know, there is a punishment for ignoring God and not connecting to God as you should. Verse 16 gives a further description of these people. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard translates it discontented grumblers. Some of your some of your translations say malcontents, fault finders. You can be you can be discontent without grumbling. You know that. Some of us don't know that. You know, and Facebook proves it. You know, some you you can be discontent without grumbling. Your parents were right. If you don't have something nice to say, what? See, you can be discontent and not, and not grumble. But I don't think you can grumble without being discontent. You see, he calls them discontented grumblers. It's a murmurer. And that implies murmuring against God. Relates back to the Old Testament. When they would murmur against God. When the Israelites were delivered and didn't fully appreciate the fact that they were delivered and murmured against God. You know, here's the picture there. And instead of following God, it says, you know, that they are walking according to their desires. There's trouble for you right there. When you're walking according to your desires, it's that they do whatever they want, you know, even if, even if they don't think that what they're doing is right. Now you say, well, how foolish. Well, we all do this. You know, we, we, we all, we all do this at times. Don't raise your hands. Have you ever, ever taken anything that wasn't yours? That's stealing. Do you think stealing is right? Have you ever gone over the speed limit? That's breaking the law. 
Do you think law-breaking is right? Have you ever spoken ill about someone? Have you ever said something about someone that will make the person you're speaking to think less of that person? That's gossip. Do you think gossip is fine? Have you ever, ever not told the truth? That's lying. Do you think lying is acceptable? So you see, what he's talking about here, what he's talking about here you know, is, is not referring to the person who does occasional sins. Occasional sin is not okay. All right, you got that? This is not excusing occasional sin. John tells us what to do. You know, in, the, in First John, we'll said the gospel. In the, in the epistle of First John, he tells us what to do. That you know, that when you sin, if you know, if you sin, you, you confess it to God. He's faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He tells us what to do when that when that's the case. Occasional sin is not okay. What he's talking about here, what he's talking about here, you know, he's referring to those who habitually, regularly, consistently does, you know, and says whatever it takes to accomplish their own desire, turning things for their own advantage, as it says here. No regard for the truth, only regard for their desires. And this is what he's talking about when he says that they're walking according to their own desires. <clears throat> you know, that, that, that's what's happening here. And notice, one of the characteristics here, it says that they utter arrogant words. Uh, this is where, you know, if you, <clears throat> when you're studying the Bible, if you look at a lot of different good translations, you're going to get a much fuller picture. Because this is one of those phrases where almost every translation does a little bit differently. A Holman Christian Standard says they utter arrogant words. Some of them say they are loud-mouthed boasters. Other, another one says they speak arrogantly. Another translation words is that they boast about themselves. The picture here, take the whole verse, you know, as he's talking here, the picture here is that their end goal is their own profit. Their end goal is their own desires, not loving their neighbor as themselves, as Christ calls us to, as Jesus commands us to. You know, it, it seems that, you know, if they're helping you, it's only because it furthers their agenda. If they help you, it's only because it gets them, a, a, you know, a little bit further along. It's the ultimate Ponzi scheme. I'll give you a little so I can get a lot. There's the picture for us. Character matters, and their character is self-centered. Let's last few verses. Verse 17. But you, dear friends, there, there it is again. You know, but you, dear friends, should be very different. Uh, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end, there, in the end time, there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are unbelievers, not having the Spirit. So remember God's Word. Remember God's Word. What the apostles told us. The apostles have written down what Jesus has done. The apostles have recorded how Jesus lived in the Gospels and those things he passed on to them as you get into the epistles and what's happening. Remember what the apostles told from the very beginning, from the very beginning, this is what the enemy attacked. 
The enemy attacked what God says. The enemy attacked the word of God. In Genesis, it says, you know, now the serpent, the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God really say? Did God really say? Let me give you another little angle on this. Let me twist this a little bit for you. And he calls God's word into question, you see, because then, then it, was, it was much easier to, to deceive them. You know, if they can, if, if, if they can get you to question the, the truth and the validity of God's word, then you're opening to begin to question God. Did God really say? Well, you see, what it really meant was he didn't want you to be like him. Because, you see, if you begin questioning his word, then you begin questioning God's character. And you are then putting yourself up as the authority above God. If you are the one deciding, then you are putting yourself up as the authority above God. And you are deciding, you know, what, what it is that you can listen to and you can't listen to. You know, questioning God's word makes you vulnerable to attack in, in, in other areas because it removes the only truth you have to stand on. If Eve would have stood on that truth, yes, God did. Say, yes, he did say, you know, not to touch that. When Satan attacked Jesus, Jesus trusted God's word. Satan twisted God's word, and, and, and Jesus trusted God's word, and he responded. Satan twisted it. Jesus responded with an accurate, with an accurate word of God, an accurate take on the word of God. You know, the, the, truth, of, the truth of God's word is your only defense against Satan's lies, no matter who they come through. No matter who they come through. He said, remember, the word remember here means to take it to heart in a way that affects your thinking. Remember God's word. Take it to heart in a way that affects your thinking, in a way that affects your behaving. It's significantly more than a mental exercise. This is way beyond a mental exercise when he says remember. What he's saying is get this into your life. Think about it so much and remember that you're getting this into your life. That it's, a, it, it's, it's making a difference in, in how you're living. Now, just a side note for you. This is a bonus point. The guys on Tuesday morning love my bonus questions. But, you know, this is just a bonus point for you. You can't remember something you never knew. God is not going to back up the dump truck and, and offload that. Here comes the knowledge. Without you doing anything. If you're going to remember God's word, you need to be reading God's word. You need to be studying God's word. You need to be thinking about God's word. Read it. Think. How does this apply to you? You know, how does this apply to your situation? How does this apply to your place in the world? You know, does the season of life that you're in right now, what does it say to help you and to guide your future? Begin to read God's word that way. Not just as it's a, you know, another storybook, but as something meant to guide you. And part of what... Part of what the apostles taught is that false teachers would come because that's what Jesus told them. You know, the, the apostles, they faithfully recorded Jesus' words for us so we know what Jesus said and we know how he wants us to live. Matthew chapter 24. If anyone tells you, this is the apostles faithfully recording 
God's word, what Jesus said. If anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or over here, do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I've told you in advance. Paul writes a warning to Timothy on the same thing. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. You know, to, to support that, to put themselves you know, to myths and these endless genealogies. Every once in a while, I run across these horoscope things. You, you know what sign I was born under? I was born under the sign of the cross. That's the one I want to talk about. I was reborn under the sign of the cross. You know, here's, don't devote yourselves to these endless genealogies and this foolishness. Peter wrote a warning. He, you know, he wrote a warning to, you know, to uh, his followers, uh, not his followers, the, the, those who were scattered that he was writing to, scattered in other areas. He said, but there will also be false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their unrestrained ways, and the way of, of truth will be blasphemed because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with deceptive words. Their condemnation, uh, pronounced long ago, is not idle. Their destruction does not sleep. This past week, just in this past week, I was asked questions about the teaching of charismatics, about the, 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 the origins of demons, the tactics of Satan, what I thought about deliverance ministries, the teaching of Pentecostals. Those are things I was asked just this week. And it was interesting. Pastor Kent and I were talking this morning. He was asked some of those same questions. How do you know what's true and what's false? Know God's word so that you know when what, when what someone is teaching you know what is false teaching. You know what goes against the word of God. Now, Jude focuses in here on false teaching in the church, but you need to know that um, it may also be an authority outside of the church. You know, an authority outside of the church that... that um, teaches and puts up as a standard something that is contrary to the word of God. Last week, a teacher in Loudoun County Public Schools in Virginia, he was put on administrative leave and uh, is, is on his road to being terminated as a teacher because this is what he said at the school board meeting. He said, I love all of my students. But I will never lie to them regardless of the consequences. I am a teacher, but I serve God first, and I will not affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa because it's against my religion. It is lying to a child. It is abuse to a child, and it is sinning against our God, he said. 
You see, sometimes it's costly to stand up and to stand for the Word of God and to know the Word of God. A, a, a lot of faith-based adoption agencies are are being shut down and, and have and, and withdrawing of of funds from them and stuff because they you know because they won't process adoptions to same-sex couples. You know, you, we could go on and on with these lists. You know, here here's the point though: false teachers do not have to be part of the church. They don't even have to be religious. What he's saying here is to know the word of God so well that you know when something is false, no matter where it comes from. No matter where it comes from. Look at the result of their teaching in verse 19. You know, he, he said it creates divisions. Again, here's, there's a lot of other translations that say this. It creates divisions. It divides you. It, it's agitators causing division, you know, with those who are committed to following Christ. You know, within that, he says what, what, they, what they say and what they follow, he says, merely natural, worldly, uh, worldly people, worldly minded, uh, following natural instincts sensual you see it's driven by emotion it's driven by passions they do and he ends at verse 19 he ends it he says they do not have the spirit they do not have the spirit which means they do not have a relationship with christ why do i say this well because that's what god says you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit since the spirit of god lives in you but if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he does not belong to him you see, if you have a relationship with Christ, you don't have to pray for the Holy Spirit to come in you. You don't have to pray for the Spirit. Why? Because God very clearly says, when you have a relationship with Christ, you have the Spirit. And if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have the relationship you thought you did. You see, what he's saying here is these, these people, they don't have this relationship with Christ. Those who influence your life should be people led by the Spirit of God. You have a lot of people who influence your life. They should be people who are led by the Spirit of God. Remember, people aren't always what they seem to be. Some are false teachers within and outside the church. Teaching, you know, and, and teaching those things which, you know, which they say are true. And, and it's not true. And character matters. It matters. Ungodly character shows a lack of a relationship with God. You need to remember God's word. You need to learn it so that you can remember it. You, know, you need to be reading it and studying it and asking, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to my life? So that you will know when somebody is teaching false as truth. Then you'll know those who influence you are led by the Spirit. Remember. Remember your relationship with God and all that it entails. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us your word as a sure, as a solid reality for us. As something that, that uh, we can depend upon. 
as something that we can turn to, as something that we can be led by. Lord, we know there are those out there who want to mislead us for their own profit and their own gain. And we'd like to think that they'd be easy to see, but they're not always. They are those hidden reefs. They are those empty trees. They are those foaming waterfalls, crashing waves. Father, we want to be, we want to be led by your Spirit. I know a lot of that comes through your word, so help us to be people of the word. Help us to be people who get into it. Help us to be people who read it. Help us to be people who respond to it. Help us to be people who live it. So that when we're in a place, in a situation, that we can be reminded of your word, of your truth, and follow you and not be led off and be led astray into other things. But to be led solidly, solidly, deeper into your heart. Please. Please make that a reality in our lives as we pursue you, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.